0: If I could tell the whole world I would, anyone that, you know, is going through a procedure, whether it's heart, lungs, whatever, and they need help financially, go to PAF this is the place. Fantastic. Brooke, you're like my saint.
1: <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm on it to speak with my colleague, Brooke Flores, who is a case manager at Patient Advocate Foundation and one of her clients, Joe Sweeney. Brooke and Joe, it is an absolute pleasure to speak with you all. As we close out this season, the story that you two have perfectly highlights how case management truly provides support for people during some of the most life-challenging moments. So, Brooke, I wanna start with you. What is your background and role at PAF?
2: I've been with Patient Advocate Foundation for a little over three years now. I come from a very extensive background with medical assisting, surgical coordination, office management. My main role here is working with the insurance denials and appeals.
1: Joe, tell us about your journey and how you met Brooke and what led you to reaching out to PAF.
0: I've had heart issues and problems. Uh, since birth, I had an uh, organic heart murmur. I'm um, one of those people when I went to the hospital for any minor thing and they would check my heart. I actually had one time 12 interns come into the room and all listen to my heart so that they knew what a heart murmur actually sounded like. In uh, 2015, my nephew also has heart issues and he underwent a uh, septal myectomy where they take part of the heart wall out so it can beat better. Well, learned to realize that a couple of years later I had the same thing that he had, but he actually has a pacemaker and I don't have that. They just went in and took about 11 centimeters from my heart just so my heart could actually work right. Also my one valve was two times as long. So they tacked it back. And so here I am now. So this happened like July, 2020 is when I had the surgery.
1: Wow that's intense. When you found out that you had to undergo that surgery, what led you to reaching out to PAF?
0: For two years, my heart doctor was actually going through all these different steps. I went in one time to get a test done and it was like a stress test. And the lady, it should take like 20, 30 minutes or so. I was in there for an hour and a half because she was actually with the machine looking at my heart and said, wait your heart doesn't look right and like went to all different parts of my heart with this echo system and like made a a copy you know did a whole bunch of photographs and that you could see like how thick the wall was and she freaked out so I was in there for an hour and a half she's looking at me and I come back out look at my wife I'm like I don't know what's going on we got a phone call the next day like we need you to come in now so I went in and then they just started to just keep Records. I had to keep wearing the wires at night and that kind of stuff. They they said, well, this is hereditary. So obviously we need to do something. So then when we got it all hooked up, okay, well, you're not working right now. This is the best time we can do it. Let's do it in July. I said, okay, because I was furloughed from work because of COVID. It was July 15th when I actually had the surgery performed. So from May until that time, everything was like, okay, well, this is going to be easy. Don't worry about the payment stuff. You know, we'll work it out. We'll have a single pay agreement. And it's just like, okay, that sounds awesome. Come to find out about 10 to 15 days later after the surgery, we get this huge bill for $175,000. And we're like, what? So, you know, we made the calls and stuff and just kept going back and forth because my doctor was uh, in network the doctor that performed the surgery was out of network. So that complicated even more things. And so, you know, we kept going back and forth between them and the insurance company. And then my wife and I were like, okay, this is, cause it was just stressing me out. So here I am trying to heal. And then I just have this big price tag above my head going, no, this is, you're gonna feel sicker, you know? So eventually my wife, who's awesome, she is really good at finding things. And she found PAF, I don't know how she did it, but she did. And we made the call and it was in October of uh, 2020. And then we got hooked up with Brooke and I don't know, here we are today. Um, not, not paying $175,000, I can tell you that much. And, <laughs> you know, life is pretty good right now. She found um, Google Chrome
2: engine search. I remember that.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, but she's, she's really good at that stuff. So luckily we hooked up with the right person and people. It's so awesome.
1: Brooke, when Joe first called you, what was that process like? Hearing that him and his family are stressed out, this bill of one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. What mode does your brain go into? Well,
2: Honestly, you know, my heart kind of sinks for people when they have to go through things that are so catastrophic. So, you know, trying to rush to figure out what the true issues are and make those several phone calls, like we did, to the insurance carrier as well as the facility to try to get some type of resolution because at the end of the day, $175,000 is just, just absurd. So I'm just happy that in the long run we were able to get that resolution.
1: And what did that resolution process look like? You know, What does that actually entail?
2: I'm gonna give you a little bit more details on the single case agreement. Essentially it's a contract between your insurance company and an out of network provider to ensure that a patient doesn't have to change providers and it should prevent the balance billing as well. This is usually requested when there are no in-network providers available. So it'll be the facility and or the provider reaching out to the insurance company. The procedure codes, which are also known as the CPT codes, will be listed as well as a fee schedule on what they request for reimbursement with. And then from that point, they do like a debate between the you know each other to determine who is going to you know win the debate and how much is going to be reimbursed for that procedure itself so that's usually the process on how it works.
1: Okay, and so what was different in Joe's case where that didn't necessarily really play out like it should, and he ended up with the bill.
2: So the procedure codes that were requested originally, there was only, I believe, two or three that was on the actual contract that was made with the insurance as well as the provider. So that's where it became a domino effect. You think about the surgery itself, so you have this one surgery that lies under the the CPT code, but then all of a sudden we don't think about the long run, about the anesthesia bills, about the labs, about the medications any type of inpatient care, none of that was going to be listed under those procedure codes that were originally approved. So that in return caused the $175,000 bill that was patient responsibility, unfortunately.
1: Then when you saw that there was that gap of all of those other things that weren't included, what was your next mode of action to take?
2: So I was hopeful that the facility was going to take that into consideration because the patient has no control over what's going to be requested with insurance. They don't even know what the CPT codes would have entailed at that point. So it was up to the actual facility and provider's office to make sure that everything in detail was approved in advance before those services were rendered. So had that not been the case, you know, kind of arguing the fact with the actual facility that the patient should not be held accountable for that and those charges should in fact be written off from that point.
1: And how long did this process take to resolve?
2: Many, many, my, many months, many hours put into the insurance as well as the facility. I think we were pushing probably six months, maybe, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, it's about right. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, mm-hmm. what
1: was going through your mind through this whole six months? Obviously, Brooke has experienced for years being able to handle cases like this. But Joe, it was your first time experiencing this. So... Yeah. What was that like for you?
0: So I was furloughed because of COVID back in March and it came at the worst time because it was the day of my birthday when I got furloughed. Mm. So they're like, oh, this is only going to take a couple months. Don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, okay. So here I is then end of March furloughed. I was in the hospital for four nights. So got home like the 20th. It was like mid August and they said, okay, we're going to furlough you a little bit longer. So I'm like, okay, it's more time for healing. This is great. But then in that time we kept getting like every day it would be a bill. And the thing that was really rotten about it is one bill that we'd get on a Monday, we'd get another one on a Wednesday. It was for the same items, but it was different prices and stuff. And you're just like, how is this possible? And I just kept going and going, and going. I-, I wish I had my the pile here. It's about like four inches thick of all the billing that was sent over to us. I can't believe that Brooke went through all of that. To understand, the writing was like eight point font size. It was so small. I can't imagine like going through all that stuff and hundreds and hundreds of pages. So then October showed up, October 2nd, I was actually let go. Me and like 2,000 other people in our company. So anyone that was furloughed at the time was let go. And so here I am, okay, great. It was the 13th when we contacted PAF and talked to Brooke. Um, I mean, I mean, we were really sweating bullets, you know, for those 11, 12 days. It was like, what are we going to do now? Talk to Brooke, send it over. Um, and the process went from like one seventy-five to like $75,000 to like $36,000. And we were like prepared to, to pay whatever, you know, if we had to go and do monthly payments, we figured that's what was going to happen anyway. We'll do our best to live with it and hopefully they'll accept our cash. I mean, obviously, they'll accept it, but we'll accept it for like a monthly small fee because, I mean, we're talking like a whole house payment or a whole house you know purchase, really. And like I said, it was about $36,000 at that point. And, you know, the bills just kept coming in and coming in. And we would just like take pictures of the stuff, you know, scan it and send it over to Brooke and... Just her amazing work got us through it. The final bill was was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And that day was just like one of the best days of my life. We, we were just like talking to them and they said, okay, this is it. Um, but Brooke was pretty confident and flying colors, came out in flying colors with with the end result.
2: I wasn't gonna take you for an answer.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Really,
2: you know, the the positive part of that outcome was that the facility itself kind of owned up to understanding that they didn't do what they were supposed to with, with getting mm-hmm. the single case agreement set. So it kind of hit like a catastrophic level to where the patient shouldn't be held responsible, we're gonna go ahead and write off the additional charges. So that was basically the end of that resolution.
0: The doctor that took care of me has done over 2000 uh, of these type of surgeries. So I was obviously in good hands for that part. But the billing and the responsibility stuff was just flipped on our heads. You know, like we were told the single case, ah eh, don't worry about it. We're all good. You know, a couple of weeks later, it's like, hi, this is $175,000 bill, you know, in your mailbox. And you're like, oh man, what did we do wrong? But it wasn't us at all.
1: Yeah. That's great to hear that the facility did take ownership and personal responsibility and say, actually, we messed up when this doesn't fall on your shoulders. Because like you said, Joe, you're Mm -hmm. feeling positive. I have one of the best doctors in the country to perform this procedure. I feel really confident about my health. But hey, there's this price tag attached to the quality of my future life. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a a reality that thousands, if not millions of people experience when it comes to healthcare and achieving their highest quality of life. So for the both of you, what type of advice would you give to people who find themselves confronting these complex problems when they have a serious health problem?
0: My wife is incredible at finding things. When she found PAF, it was like, okay, she found a couple other places too, but we didn't get responses from those other places. Then we heard back from PAF. It was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm on a, a group on Facebook for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I told people on there about PAF because, you know, every once in a while you'd see someone on there going, like, I just had the, the operation, I'm at home, I'm trying to like recover, and all of a sudden this bill shows up. What am I going to do? I've thrown it out there a few times, and I keep throwing it out there for those people. And I just hope they're taking advantage of it because it didn't cost us anything for the help from PAF, which is amazing to begin with. And the amount that we paid was pretty minuscule compared to the, the whole 175K. If I could tell the whole world, I would. Anyone that, you know, is... Going through a procedure, whether it's heart, lungs, whatever, and they need help financially, go to PAF. This is the place. Fantastic. Brooke, you're like my saint. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Some of the feedback that I would want to give is you know, if you ever come into a scenario that you're going to be stuck, you can only see the out of network providers or whatever it may be, always get something in writing and see what their agreement is with. If you have questions about those procedures, you know, ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. What does that entail? Is that going to include everything that's going to be needed for my procedure, for my inpatient stay? Does that include the facility costs, the provider's costs, the anesthesiologist, and everything else that may be falling under that umbrella? It doesn't hurt to ask those questions.
1: That's good. And what was the final amount that you did end up paying?
0: I think it was just a little bit over 1400 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was just amazing. But we had to wait 30 more days from that point of payment before everything was like, okay, we're good. And we didn't see anything saying that there was another complication. So, so yeah, that was a joyous day.
1: So you all were kind of holding your breath during those 30 days. Cause you're like, okay, it looks like only 1,400, but. <laughs> what if something else happens? Was that the type of mentality?
2: Yes.
0: Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's just the way they do business. I really, really do hope that healthcare in this country changes because I know that there's others out there who have uh, you know, unfortunately not contacting PAF and getting help like I did and my wife did. If, if we didn't contact and get in touch and get this done, I have no idea where I'd be right now because it's been very hard. I mean, like there's a lot of jobs out there. But in my industry, uh, it's very tough, and you know, I finally am back to work again. Um, just started the early part of June, so it's like off that whole time from March of last year till June of this year. It plays a toll, and so I just imagine if, if we didn't contact back in October, I don't know what I'd be doing right now besides sweating bullets and you know not answering the phone. I can tell you that much. That wouldn't be happening.
1: Yeah. And that's the grave and unfortunate reality for so many people. Like you said, you're not the only person that has phone calls or has envelopes coming to their house. And sometimes people just let them pile up because what am I supposed to do? And I think that's the importance of the work that Brooke does and and all of our case managers, the whole organization in general is giving hope. And how did that feel for you, Joe, to have someone so committed to your story, to your journey, to the things that you were going through? Oh,
0: it was the best. I've shed a few tears before <laughs> being on the phone with Brooke. That day when we made that payment, I was just sobbing like a baby. when I gave that last number and then the expiration date of the card and all that stuff. I'm like, this better be it. Fortunately it was, like I said, she was my saint and she's still my saint for that
2: trying to get us out there to other patients, let them know that we have a wonderful case management team. We all come from different backgrounds and we bring up this one big powerful teamwork that we can provide with many different backgrounds and just you know you're not alone when you come into these scenarios when you have all of these explanation of benefits and coding it can be very in depth and confusing for anyone I mean we've looked at things before and be like what what happened I don't understand that you know we have to dig further into it, but we just want people to know that we we can we're out there, we can help and you're not alone in this scenario.
0: Yeah, And I definitely wasn't alone. That's for sure. With your help. Thank you. (laughs)
1: And Brooke, for you, the work that you do is obviously so important, but also challenging, also time consuming. Like you said, for this specific case, it took several months. So doing the work that you do, what keeps you going? What keeps you motivated to help that next patient to read through the fine lines, to call that insurance company another time? What do you love about what you do?
2: Giving you a little bit about my background as well, always having that closed door where you weren't able to have that compassion for patients and do the extra step to help. That's what kind of led me to Patient Advocate Foundation because I'm allowed to step outside the box and do whatever I can to help people. So that's a number one thing that I like to do. I like to have that positive outcome and resolution for patients. We're all patients at one time. I have two disabled parents that go through many, many, many different doctor's appointments and hospital visits. I see everything that comes in from them as well, and it just, my heart breaks for some people, especially if you don't have that knowledge on what you're looking for. So I aim to strive to the highest level that I can to try to achieve a positive outcome for people because, you know, you're not a patient. You're a person just like everybody else, and at the end of the day, that's all we really want to aim high for.
1: And Joe, how are you doing now?
0: i'm pretty good working back in radio which is my true love yeah no complaints i'm just kicking along that's very good
1: yes very good indeed and is there anything else that the two of you wanted to share about
2: this process and this journey i just want people to know that you're not alone we're in this boat together
0: yeah that's pretty much what i was going to say is once you get an idea of what's happening, you'll have a foundation again. You'll be able to take a step and not feel like you're gonna fall. And that's pretty much how we felt. Once we found Brooke and started the process, took some time and like I said, four inches of bills stacked up, but it's well worth it.
1: I'm Ashley Freeman and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to
2: engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.